Welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? This is Carrie. And I'm Joe. Please remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics. We're just standing up on a cloud and shouting out loud about 80s music. So give us a break. Yeah. Welcome, Joe. Welcome, Carrie. How are you? I'm hanging in there, Joe. How are you? Also hanging in there. You know what? That's all you can do sometimes, right? Just hang. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hang in there, baby. <laughs> yep. Like that cat poster. Exactly. Welcome to any new listeners and welcome to any loyal listeners. We found some in Los Angeles, California, Kings Hill, St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, and Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. That must be normal. Who's normal? Excuse me? From Garfield? Yeah. What does he have to do with Abu Dhabi? Are you serious? I am serious. I'm not a Garfield stan. I knew the name Nermal, but I probably haven't read Garfield in 40 years. Okay, but did you watch the cartoon? I guess not. I don't think so. (laughs) (sighs) Nermal was like so annoying and Garfield hated her. Was it a her or him? I don't know. We don't need to... Excuse me. Nermal is gender fluid. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Well... Garfield would always try to send them in a box to Abu Dhabi. That was the joke. <laughs> to get rid of Nermal. I did not know that, but it sounds mm-hmm. very on brand for what I do know of Garfield. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. Well, Nermal and everyone else can check out our Facebook, which is facebook.com slash HRT80S and our Twitter at HRT80S. I bet there's someone on Twitter that tweets as normal, so we should tweet. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Get the what's going on with normal. Tell them they're a big feature of the podcast this week. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get some retweets. I should also reach out to Ricky Lee Jones on Twitter. Mm -hmm. She's got a Facebook page too. I did a lot of research on her and Carrie because I told you I wanted to bring Ricky Lee Jones to tidbits. Yep, I'm ready. And it's because I finished her book. Oh, finally. The Last Chance Texaco. I know I bought it like six months ago. I don't know what took me so long. I took a little break for some reason. Well, that's what I was going to say. It wasn't that like you've had it for a long time. It's that I literally feel like you've been reading it forever. You would be like telling me (laughs) I I was reading the Ricky Lee Jones book. I'm like, how long is this book? It really didn't take that long to read. It's just I did like, you know, a week and then I took like a month mm-hmm. or two off and then mm-hmm. finished it all up. Um, it's a lot of her backstory. Okay. You know, before she became famous and got a record deal, she's lived a life, I will tell you that. And I did find some interesting information out because you know how we always talk about Toto was on everything in the 80s? Yeah, yes. Her first album featured Jeff Procaro on drums. And then her second album, Pirates, that came out in, I believe, um, 81, 82, Steve Lukather played guitar. Wow. Yep. They were everywhere. So it's official. (laughs) Okay. So not only that, Michael McDonald did backing vocals on the first album. I know nothing about Ricky Lee Jones, honestly. Did I say this on the podcast or just in our everyday life? I got her and Joni Mitchell confused. Yes, you've said that before. I don't know where. But whether it was on the podcast or just to you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (sighs) Well, I hate to tell you, but there's a certain podcaster that's been in the news and everywhere for the last few months that I won't say by name. Okay. And he was speaking out on the fact that Joni Mitchell removed her music from Spotify in protest for him, right? 
He did? Okay. Yes. And then he went on to say, I don't know why I'm such a fan of her music. I think Chucky's In Love is a great song. Are you kidding me? (laughs) What a (laughs) dick. Oh my God. He was being, he really thought it was her song though. He had to issue an apology. He didn't know. Yeah. Whether he's being sarcastic or ignorant. Yeah. What a jerk. (laughs) I know. I really hated that coincidence. I will tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to be thinking along the same lines as that gentleman. Sorry to anybody out there. I guess if we've offended you, I'm not sorry. Anyways, moving on. I was looking at the press surrounding jo- oh, Ricky Lee Jones <laughs> that she was giving for her book. And uh, the newest interview I saw, she did talk about that she is writing a television show about wow. her life, her characters that Jeez. she encountered and her struggles. So I guess look out for that. Okay, I guess Mm -hmm. so. Again, I know nothing about her, I guess. So should I read the book? Is the book a good read? You don't know any of her music? No. I would listen to her first two albums. I've been listening to them over and over, and Dave's about to divorce me. (laughs) See if how those make you feel before you decide. That's what I would say. And then you can certainly have my copy, but I'm obsessed. Okay, sounds good. Joe, you also wanted to talk about a documentary that was announced recently, or a documentary series that's coming out. Right. And it's called Women Who Rock. And it sounds like it's going to be a four-part documentary. And they interview a lot of people we discuss on the podcast. And some 90s and maybe some more current. But, you know, people like Pat Benatar, Ricky Lee Jones, Kate Pearson of B-52s, and just so many others. Yeah, it looks like a very interesting lineup in terms of ladies that they are going to interview and cover. And you know what? I'm always in favor of more focus on the women in music. And so this looks like it'll be very interesting. It was just announced, so we don't know when it's going to come out yet. Right. There's no date. Yeah. But we do know it's going to be on Epics. Epics. <laughs> Who gets that channel? <laughs> I don't know. You might have access to it. I thought it was part of the Showtime family. I'll have to check it out instead of waiting for the premiere night and finding out I don't have it like Janet. So I just looked at the list again, and I just, you can't believe it. Sheila E., Shaka Khan, Mm -hmm. Amy Mann, and Tina Weymouth of Talking Heads and TomTom Club. The only thing about this that I will say is just that I already think that like most of these ladies could have a whole hour or two just about them. So it'll be interesting to me to see what the kind of through line is and how they use all the different ladies together. Time will tell. Yep, exactly. All right, Joe, let's get into it. Our main topic, it's not our main topic, but we're going to kick it off with a little bit of a deep dive into this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees. We promised everyone our thoughts on that. So we're going to take some time to do that right up front. And I'm not going to read you the whole list. We'll chat about those that are of interest to us. And if you're new to us, then you can go back and listen to episodes 99, where we talked about last year's nominees and the process. And then we did a super deep dive into artists that have been inducted in episodes 107, 109, and 110. So check those out if you miss them. But the basics are that an act is eligible 25 years after their first commercial recording Nominations are made by a committee of about 30 people, 
and then ballots are sent to 1,000 music industry folks. There's a fan ballot you can vote on online, and that counts as one of those ballots. And I found in the announcement that of the 17 nominees up for induction this year, a total of five to seven will be voted in, according to the hall which I don't think we've ever clarified exactly what the criteria is for who gets in. Like, it's not more than 50%. It's not a certain percentage. I think they just, like, unilaterally pick a number each year or something. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I do, but I don't. (laughs) They're so mysterious. I know. That's what I mean. I've never even thought about that because I just figured we'll never know. Yeah, so who knows why it's five to seven this year, but I guess get ready for five Mm. to seven. And remember, there are other non-competitive categories where the inductees are simply chosen by someone. (laughs) So let's start with this year's first-time nominees. First up, Carrie, is Duran Duran, and they've been eligible since 2006, and they've been one of the artists most often mentioned as an obvious snub There was even speculation last year that because John Sykes, the co-founder of MTV, was named as chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation in 2020, that that would lead to more MTV acts being inducted. And here they are. Yeah. So were the nominees, Joe? Carrie, I think you know my feelings about Duran Duran. I honestly don't. You just said that. And I was like, I don't. (laughs) I mean, you, you like them, right? I don't know. Did you see that picture I sent you of the bumper stickers that my friend found for me? Yes. From the 80s? Yes. Okay. uh, Heaven 17, Mm -hmm. ABC, and Spandau Ballet. Yeah. So he found these at a record store about a year ago. He was my coworker, and we weren't in the office, so he's been waiting to give them to me. When he sent me the picture, like, which ones do you want from this store? There was also a Duran Duran one there. And I was like, you can skip it. Yeah, I guess I hear that. I like Duran Duran. I like a lot of their songs, but I'm not obsessed with them like some people are. I'm not even like choosing to go put a Duran Duran record on. So I know what you're saying, but I do think they're worthy. But think of those people who do like them, right? Yeah. They're obsessive. It's almost like the (laughs) Prince fans. You know what I mean? Yes. There's no casual fans. They're like, they changed music. Yes. And I kind of agree with that to a degree, but I do think they changed music through video. That was part Mm -hmm. of what it was. And I'm not saying that's good or bad or whatever. I am saying the Rock Hall has never recognized those type of people. They're great musicians. They have great music. There's no denying that part of their legacy is their image and how they sold their image through video. So Hmm. I'm happy. I'm happy they were nominated. We'll see what happens with them, I guess. I'm curious to see if they're going to get in this year. If they got it, I wouldn't be mad, but I wouldn't be upset if they had to wait. Okay. Sounds good. Also, Joe, we've got Dolly Parton who has been eligible for nomination since the late 80s. And this one is very weird to me. You know, there's no doubt that I love Dolly and that she's a superstar. But this is where the rock and roll Hall of Fame becomes confusing to me. Like, I just do not understand. They're always making excuses for which genres they consider part of rock and roll and which they don't. There have been some country acts inducted over the years. 
But there's no doubt that Dolly Parton is a country act. And so I'm just confused by it, especially given the degree to which they've snubbed R&B artists under the guise of R&B is not rock it's and not roll. Rock. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, if R&B isn't rock and roll, then country isn't rock and roll, especially modern country like Dolly Parton. But again, there's no doubt I would celebrate Dolly being inducted just because she's amazing and she should get every accolade and award there is. So I think she's got a pretty good chance, especially considering the interview that she gave regarding her nomination. Had you heard about this? No, I haven't. She said, I'm not expecting that I'll get in. But if I do, I'll immediately next year have to put out a great rock and roll album, which I've wanted to do for years, like oh. a Linda Ronstadt or Hart kind of thing. Well, okay, then yeah, <laughs> she's basically she's a shoe in. <laughs> yeah, Who doesn't yeah. want that, right? I think that yeah. would be great. Mm-hmm. Next up, Lionel Richie. Uh, he hasn't been inducted before. No, I thought for sure he was inducted with the Commodores, but they haven't even been nominated. That's crazy. Yeah. Gosh, why him and not them? I don't know. That's another thing that's really confusing about the Rock Hall is that I think there's no doubt that part of Lionel Richie's cachet is that he was part of the Commodores. I mean, he Mm -hmm. had a great solo career, but at the end of the day, his solo career lasted from like 1983 to maybe the early 90s. Yeah, I mean, like maybe the early 90s. But yeah, for the most part, he didn't have like a significant solo career and legacy, I don't think. Maybe this has to do part with his work with other artists, too, because, you know, he wrote and produced music for other artists throughout his career. I don't know. Just long story short, I definitely think Lionel Richie deserves to be in, but I think he deserves to be in as part of the Commodores. Yeah, I'm when you said that, I was thinking about how he wrote those songs for Kenny Rogers and he produced mm-hmm. and... He had a big hand in We Are the World. That's true. You know, there was that Olympic performance where he sang in front of like billions of people around the world. I don't know. I forgot he was on the list. I saw him on the cover of People magazine this week and I'm like, what's he promoting? (laughs) But I guess he wants to get his name and face out there, right? Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. just shocked that it took him this long to get nominated if he was going to get nominated Mm -hmm. because I thought he was very beloved in the industry. I know. Whenever we talk about these, it's like we end up with more questions than I know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. One last first time nominee, and that's Carly Simon. And this one was kind of a shock to me. I think she had more influence in the 70s. I'm not super familiar with her legacy, and I just didn't think she was someone of the caliber to get nominated. I don't know. I just don't know that many of her songs. I know Jesse yeah. mm-hmm. coming around again. Mm-hmm. And what's that one we were just talking about that you like? You're so vain. Yeah. I don't have an opinion about her. Like if she gets in over some of the other people that are nominated, mm-hmm. I think I'll feel upset. I got to tell you, I wish it was Ricky Lee Jones. <laughs> you thought she was Ricky Lee Jones? No, I'd rather it be Ricky Lee oh. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I do want to say, though, that this morning, (laughs) right before we went to record, I checked my Instagram, and the first thing in my feed was from this account that I follow, and I guess you follow it too, Joe? Yeah, I I followed him forever. (laughs) He's the guy who brought Gloria, that stripper lady singing it. Oh, yes. That's from his account. Go follow this account on Instagram. It's Jeffrey Mixed. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. 
mixed on Instagram. He just posts these wild old videos from the 80s. And he posted this commercial from Carly Simon talking about some radio station. And it was so weird and wild. It's like her introducing, she's like, your ex wants you back because I guess the radio station was WPIX. Did you think that claymation thing was supposed to be Carly Simon? No, it was okay. not. No. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought it was supposed to be her. Then it's like this weird claymation with these two things singing along to songs. It was so weird. horrific. Yeah, that would have been given me nightmares. Yeah. Let me know if you saw that commercial as a child. Did it oh give you gosh, nightmares? Yeah, if anyone remembers this uh, yeah. commercial for WPIX. But anyways, yeah, Carly, I'm sorry. That got reintroduced to the consciousness <laughs> this week when you're on a high. He gets, uh, he has a lot of followers too. I just noticed yeah. that he posted a clip from Bridesmaids and said his favorite scene. And then the director commented, mine too. Oh, wow. One last note on first-time nominees. Eminem is nominated in his very first year of eligibility. Moving on yep. immediately. All right. <laughs> um, we do have some nominees who um, they're back, back, back again. <laughs> yes. We've got third time nominees, Kate Bush, the New York Dolls, and Devo. Carrie, your thoughts? I really think Devo deserves it. I think they're one of the most influential bands of the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, they really changed music, but also are so unique that there will never be another band really that sounds like Devo, I don't think. I think they definitely deserve it, but I just don't think they have the groundswell behind them. What about this? Do you like their music? Yes, I do. I don't like put on Devo records, yeah. but I every time I hear a Devo song, I'm impressed by it and I like it. It's just so tough with these kinds of discussions because it's like seeing that someone deserves it and they were so you know inspirational to others. But what if you don't like their music? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. That's why it's, you know, people are subjective. You know, that's why there's thousands of people that vote, 1,000 mm -hmm. people that vote, and not just one person. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah. Earlier when you were like, we, when people get inducted, like on the spot, you're like, I guess, you know, maybe one person picks it. Yeah. We don't even know if it's a person. It could be like <laughs> a cat playing with a ball of yarn. And if the ball lands into the <laughs> yes. right spot, like, oh, you know, Ricky Lee Jones is in. Yep, like that octopus that predicts the winner of the Super Bowl or the World oh, Cup or whatever God. it is. <laughs> you know, just hearing it out loud, I'm like, what world do we live in? <laughs> I don't know. How is this the world? I don't know. But we've got another, a second time nominee, Dionne Warwick. I don't think she's going to make it. I don't know. She's got the followers on Twitter. She's oh, funny. Maybe that's true. Was it, When did this Twitter renaissance happen for her? Did it happen before or after she was nominated last year? Oh, I don't know. I didn't realize it was last year she was nominated. Um, yeah. But then you also let me know that she's got a documentary in the works that's coming out, right? True. That'll put her over the top if um, she doesn't make it this year. She'll probably make it on the heels of that documentary. It worked for the Go-Go's. Yeah, exactly. And then another second time nominee that I know you're very happy about is... The Eurythmics. Yeah. And they were on the ballot in 2018, but didn't make it. So let's see what happens. Yeah, and I looked up the people that went in that year, and it was the Cars, the Moody Blues, a couple others, and Bon Jovi. Mm. I was like, I cannot believe Bon Jovi made it yeah. in over the Eurythmics. Get out of town. I wonder with these acts that have more success in the UK if that hurts them. 
Yeah, it definitely does. That's the thing with Kate Bush. I mean, it's very much an American Rock and Roll Hall of mm-hmm. Fame. The UK doesn't have anything like this, do they? I don't know. I don't know. That's strange. Hmm. Anyways, last but certainly not least, second time nominee, Pat Benatar. She's got to get it, man. If she doesn't get it, there will be riots. Yeah. She was nominated in 2020, and she won the fan vote that year and didn't get inducted. But remember, that fan vote is just one ballot out of a thousand. Yeah. And I've got a special update on that voting. Remember, you can vote every day at vote.rockhall.com. And the current standings, as of this very morning, it's Saturday morning, we're recording this, almost 1.4 million votes have been cast. In first place, uh, he who shall not be named. (laughs) That first time nominee we didn't want to discuss any further. He's got 188,000 votes. Uh, I don't understand. I'd rather have that octopus that predicts the Super Bowl (laughs) winner in there. Well, just wait one second about that. Duran Duran is in second with 176,000. Pat comes in third, 152,000. Dolly in fourth, 126,000. And Eurythmics in fifth with 100,000. Yay. So, yep, the top five vote getters make up this one ballot. Uh, Just below them, Judas Priest, Lionel Richie, Carly Simon are all in the 80,000 range. Devo and Kate Bush have about 55,000. And bringing up the rear is Fila Kuti. I'm honestly not familiar with him. apologize for... My ignorance, but he's an international artist, I think. But do you remember he was nominated last year and he led the fan vote the whole way and I then didn't get inducted? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was like a big kind of controversy that everyone kept talking about. Like, who is this Fila Kuti even? Uh, and now this year he got nominated again and he's getting nothing. It's so strange. His fans were like the spurned. They were I like, we're not so. going to this again, sis. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, I don't want to be one of these people, but. I don't trust online votes in general. <laughs> so, you know, I just feel like... Rigged. Yeah. It's sometimes rigged. I do feel like that. Or I feel just like it, they're easily manipulated. Somebody can have a bot voting for these people or yeah. something. I don't know. But I'm going to keep voting for the ones I want for however long the voting goes. Which are? I go in every day and I vote for Pat I vote for Devo, and I vote for the Eurythmics consistently. Yay. And then I kind of mix it up. Um, Sometimes I throw some votes to Dolly, Duran Duran, Kate Bush. Kind of depending on where the standings are at, I sort of throw my votes to someone that might need them that day. So I kind of see Pat getting in, even if she doesn't win the fan vote. I agree with that. I agree. I think the response last time from the general public was very shocking to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They didn't realize how beloved she actually was. We'll see if the Hall of Fame takes the Go-Go's speech to heart. They said, you know, induct more women. So, yeah. Well, that's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I guess. How long do we have until we know? I'm not sure. I think fan voting goes for last year. It went till like May, I thought. May. Okay. We have enough time to find an octopus <laughs> for an episode, right? Who's getting yes. in? Yeah. We got to get to our main topic. I don't know how we're going to get through all these songs. <laughs> well, we're going to do our best, Joe. Uh, we're talking about more R&B superstars. 
I just picked out some more R&B acts from my Joel Whitburn book that we've talked about, uh, lists all of the R&B singles to hit the Hot 100. And so just looked for acts that had a lot of those and um, tried to go for ones that we might not be that familiar with. And we left off in the C's. So up first, we've got the Controllers. They had 15 R&B charters from 1976 to 1989. They were formed as an eight-member gospel group in the mid-60s and then were pared down to four members and began performing R&B. This all happened when the members were still in high school in Birmingham, Alabama. They had some regional hits and then were signed to the independent label WANA. They recorded their first album in 1977 and went to number eight on the R&B chart with Somebody's Gotta Win, Somebody's Gotta Lose. They earned a reputation on the R&B scene, had a couple deeper hits on the dance chart in the late 70s, and signed with MCA in 1983. Their first album for that label featured a song with Stevie Wonder on harmonica. Then, in 1986, they got their second biggest R&B hit with Stay. peaked at 12 on the R&B and went to 77 in the UK. The group never hit the Hot 100. Members Leonard Brown and Reginald MacArthur had a syndicated radio show called Inside the Juke Joint until MacArthur passed away in 2018. I love that they had a radio show. That's so cute. I know. It is cute. I really enjoyed this song. Interesting. I started the playlist, and this was the first one, and I thought, oh, goodness, it's going to be a long night. Okay. I I thought this one just sounded a little chintzy to me. Hmm, very interesting. I was going to start off by saying that I thought that this playlist was one of the best playlists we've had in quite some time. Don't get me wrong, eventually, and I'll tell you which one later, but... Eventually, I forgot that I needed to be taking notes, and I was literally dancing around the kitchen (laughs) island for an entire song, coming up with, like, dance moves to the lyrics. I felt like I was in a Nancy Myers movie. Ooh, interesting. I thought that this one was, like, a perfect mix of kind of a slow jam, but still a groove. I get it. Okay. I see. Yeah. But you know what? As we've always said, whatever. I don't need to justify it. I like it. I just We just have a difference of opinion. I like this one. That's fine. Yeah. Up next is an act called D-Train. That was a duo formed by singer James D-Train Williams and keyboardist Hubert Eves III. Williams had earned his nickname in high school football. His opponent said when he tackled you, it was like being hit by a train. Ooh. Eves had worked extensively as a session artist with Matume in the late 70s. The two had actually known each other in high school and started performing together again in 1980. And their debut single, You're the One for Me, was a dance and R&B hit in 1982.
Williams sang and Eves performed all the music. The song went to number 13 on the R&B chart and topped the dance chart. It also went to number 30 in the UK. What'd you think of You're the One for Me, Carrie? I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened was the like acapella intro came on. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and it was after the controllers, and I thought this is going to be all slow music that I just was not feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. But then the music started; it was upbeat, it was funky. Yeah, it was crazy because I had written this before I listened to it, and I knew it had hit the dance chart. So when there's like a whole thirty second <laughs> yeah. intro where he's just doing it's, it sounds like a ballad. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what the heck? This is weird. And then all of a sudden, the beat drops, and it just transforms into this dance groove. And I was like, oh, my God, I love this so much. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. And it had, like, perfect layering of his vocals, like, doubling his vocals. I think he's got a great voice. Yeah. I've never heard of D-Train. I've never heard no, of D-Train. I was so floored. Like, how did mm-hmm. I not know about this, right? Exactly. This is a great one. D-Train released three albums. And the third's title track, Something's On Your Mind, was their only single to reach the Hot 100. Girl, so wish you wash your sticky situation But you're taking me through, baby I can't imagine what I do Without you, girl It peaked at number 79 on the pop chart, but went all the way to number five on the R&B chart in 1984. This song made me lose my mind. I will tell you that. (laughs) Oh, really? This is the one that made you lose your mind? No, 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 no. Sorry. Let me explain further. It (laughs) sounds, there's a sound. I thought, okay, I know this song. Something Mm -hmm. sampled this. Yes. And I went to the Who Sampled website, right? Okay, Couldn't yeah. find anything. And I can't remember if I said it out loud or if my husband picked up on it. But he's like, that sound sounds like Charlie XCX. So then we went and listened to all of her songs to try to figure out which one, and we could not <laughs> find it. It's funny that you tell this whole story because after listening to this playlist, I thought to myself, So many of these songs sound familiar. I bet all of these have been sampled. I did the same thing. And I went and looked up every single one of them. And I was like, I don't know any of the songs (laughs) that sampled these. I did the same thing. I really did. And I came up bupkis. It could go both ways. You could say then that this stuff sounds derivative and sounds like a lot of other stuff. But I don't think so. I just think it captures the flavor of R&B and like what those grooves were. Mm -hmm. These sounds are just, they're so classic. It just feels like you should have heard them on the radio a hundred times. And I didn't. Well, in 1985, D-Train released a greatest hits album in the UK where they had remained very popular. Paul Hardcastle had released a cover version of You're the One for Me and contributed a remix of the song for the Greatest Hits album, and that remix ended up hitting number 15 on the UK chart. Though they worked together on two more albums in the 80s, those were credited to Williams as a solo artist. But don't worry about Eves. He played on Whitney's album I'm Your Baby Tonight and continued working as a session musician for acts like Luther Vandross and Aretha Franklin. I'm so happy that You're the One for Me was a hit in the UK, like several times over. 
it's so great. I can't believe it wasn't a bigger hit here yeah. in the States. And it sounds like they both are continue to be successful. I'm a D train fan now. You're on the D train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you the engineer of the D train? <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> well, the emotions are our next act, and they were originally a Chicago gospel act. Sounds familiar. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were made up of three Hutchinson daughters, Wanda, Sheila, and Jeanette, performing with their father, Joe, before they switched to Seoul and dropped their dad from the act. That sounds familiar, too. Get out of here, Joe. (laughs) Maurice White from Earth, Wind, and Fire was a drummer for them in the early days. They released their first album in 1969 and had 24 R&B hits from 69 to 1980, including crossover hit Best of My Love, written by Maurice White specifically for the group. He also produced it. Of course, that single topped both the R&B and the Hot 100 in 1977. Jeanette then left the group for Normal Life and was replaced by Teresa Davis, And then later, Jeanette came back and left again, (laughs) and this time was replaced by the youngest Hutchinson sister, Pamela. Jeanette, make up your mind. Right. The group kept recording into the mid-80s and had six more R&B hits, including You're the Best. I'm so crazy about you, baby. From their 1984 album, Sincerely, it reached 33 on the dance chart and 52 on the R&B. The group would release one more album in 1985. According to Sheila, they disbanded in order to get married and start families. In fact, Wanda married Wayne Vaughn, the keyboardist for Earth, Wind, and Fire. The trio did continue to work as backing vocalists for a number of prominent artists well into the 90s, including Earth, Wind & Fire and LL Cool J. That's great. I love that. Yeah. And they do have the harmonies. They do. They do. I think what's perfect about You're the Best is the call and response. You do love that. Yeah, (laughs) I do love that. It's like the main lady, and then they've got layered backing voices basically answering her, and I I really like that. It took me a second when I was listening to this to be like, this is the emotions from that disco hit from the late 70s? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, they really, I mean, they've updated their sound. I was looking at the album art, and I thought, you know, the look, they had the look too. I'm just so surprised they didn't have more success on the Hot 100. I mean, there's songs not just like this, but it sounds like stuff you would hear on pop radio. Yeah, I agree. Of course, at a base level, it's the fact that R&B music wasn't getting played on pop radio, period. But Mm -hmm. it all had to do with the promotion and whether or not they had a big record label behind them willing to push them and so much great music that should have been pop hits that wasn't. You know what I bet it was? I bet radio programmers were like, Who's this? The emotions? Is Jeanette back in? Because if she's not, <laughs> we're like, oh, that flake Jeanette. No, thank you. 
you never know. I don't know. You know, maybe Jeanette was nasty back in the day and they didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you, I got a kick out of the YouTube comment that I saw from a user named Scotty Chester. <laughs> what did Scotty have to say? <laughs> Can't stop crying about this music. It's like, okay, sis, talk about emotions. <laughs> Scotty. Get it together. Yeah. Carrie, yes. I don't know what to say about this next act. Well, there's a lot to say, so get Ooh, to it. Let's break this up, okay? <laughs> it's the group The Family, and they only had two hits on the R&B chart, but they're certainly worth talking about. We did talk about them briefly way back in episode six because they're the group basically assembled by Prince that originally recorded Nothing Compares to You. They're one of the first groups signed to Prince's own record label, Paisley Park Records, which was founded in 1985 and funded in part by Warner Brothers. The group formed out of the ashes of the time because Morris Day went solo. Guitarist Jesse Johnson took over leading the band, but Prince wanted his protege, keyboardist Paul Peterson, to be the head honcho. So Jesse Johnson took two of the time with him to form his own band called Jesse Johnson's Review, and Prince invited the remaining members, Peterson, drummer Jellybean Johnson, and dancer and backing vocalist Jerome Benton, who is, by the way, Terry Lewis's brother. You got that, sis? <laughs> I have way too many parentheticals in this sentence. Anyway, that's who's in the family. Yeah. But then Prince also added Susanna Melvoin, the twin sister of Revolution guitarist Wendy Melvoin, as a keyboardist and backup singer. Prince was romantically involved with Susanna at this time, and the last addition was Eric Leeds, a saxophonist who was the brother of Prince's tour manager. <laughs> they should have changed their name from the family to like, we have blackmail information <laughs> on Prince. I think the family was apt because they were all related to someone. <laughs> That's how you had to get in. <laughs> Ooh. So, of course, Prince wrote all of the band's material, and they recorded their debut album quickly at the end of 1984, in between Prince's work on his own albums, Around the World in a Day, and Sheila E.'s second album. Their debut single, The Screams of Passion, reached number nine on the R&B chart. Went to number 10, Dance, and peaked at 63 on the Hot 100. It would later appear on the soundtrack to Spike Lee's Girl 6 in 1996, Prince produced that entire soundtrack. The family apparently only played live once before St. Paul. Who's St. Paul? Sorry. <laughs> that is the nickname that Paul Peterson took on. St. <laughs> Paul. He grew frustrated with Prince's control and left for a solo career. So then Prince just took the rest of the band into the revolution, except for Jellybean Johnson, who went to join Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's producing empire as a session musician. The band reunited in 2011 as F Deluxe minus Benton and put out a couple albums. Why? <laughs> I don't know. This song is bad. I cannot believe it went to number nine on the R&B chart. 
I can't either. I've never heard of it before. And my notes for this, I wrote, what is this, some kind of sick joke? (laughs) It's really not. I mean, you know, if it was written by Prince, it's so obvious when Prince sometimes, you know, like innuendos and like, you know, he's talking about sex, but you don't really know that he's talking about sex. This one's just like, we're laying in bed screaming. It's like, no thanks. Oh, yeah. You know, you watch the video, you're like, are we going to hear the screams of passion? Yeah, you are. It's in the last 10 seconds. And you'll want to turn that volume down. Horrible green screen job, too. Yes. Like they're performing on the water. Mm -hmm. Oh, it looks so bad. And the synchronized dance moves, which was really like just crouching every three seconds. I didn't know. I didn't read this, of course. You know, I don't read the outline first. So I watched the video (laughs) and I wrote in the notes, this guy thinks he's Prince. (laughs) And then... At the end for the credits, it's like from Paisley Park Records. I was like, oh, yeah, it all makes sense. I love that this wasn't on Apple Music and you usually send me a YouTube link. (laughs) But this one was on Vimeo Mm -hmm. because YouTube was like, we don't want it. I know. The only thing you could find on YouTube, funny enough, was the footage from the only live performance that they ever did. And it's not it's not any better. (sighs) That yowling at the end. I am never going to get that out of my mind. <laughs> Joe, we've got one more group to cover, and it's Fat Back, a New York City funk band who had 31 R&B hits between 1973 and 1985. Holy moly. Yeah, in the course of 12 years. A fat back beat was a term that grew out of New Orleans jazz, and drummer Bill Curtis wanted to build a funk band around this type of beat. They released a single in March of 1979 called King Tim III, which featured vocalist Tim Washington rapping. To the beat, everybody, to the beat, everybody. Several months before Rapper's Delight and King Tim III is likely the first rap single. That's very interesting. I was blown away to find out what year this came from after I heard it. Yeah. I don't think the song's anything really special in retrospect because, you know, (laughs) early rapping to me, there was no um, style to it. It was just like they were just talking in a melodic way. And obviously rap has grown leaps and bounds now, but it wasn't super special, but I guess it was special in that it was actually the first one. I need to go back and listen because I think I heard a line where he said, ain't nothing new to what I do. And I was like, I don't know. This is the first (laughs) rap song. Also, I think you're supposed to be bragging. True. Right? Yep, exactly. (laughs) I had to have misheard it. Well, in 1980, the single Backstroking became Fatback's biggest hit on the R&B chart, reaching number three. It also went to number 41 in the UK, where Fatback consistently hit the charts. That's great. I love that. The UK charts, they had a lot of R&B acts on there. Yeah, 
We should spend some time looking at the uh, deeper reaches of the UK charts. We'd find a lot of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Well, Carrie, this is the song that had me forget all of my responsibilities in life and dance around for 10 minutes. Oh my gosh. Interesting. Yeah. I love it. Um, what's this song about, Carrie? Well, yeah, I will say. <laughs> you were, I was thinking when I was listening to it, Joe's going to mention that this is dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was going to make you do it. <laughs> like we talked about last time, no, this is another one where like, I wasn't listening to the lyrics. I was just mm-hmm. feeling the beat. So, yeah. yeah, when I did hear that sneak in, I just thought to myself, oh, don't care. <laughs> yeah, I know. So their 1984 single, I Found Lovin', was so popular in the UK that it charted again in 1986 and then a third time in 1987 when it reached number seven. was still touring in 2020 and hopefully will be back out touring soon, according to Wikipedia. I Found Lovin' was the star for me from Fatback. Yeah. I was really into that one. Uh, We need to get it on the Charlies. I want to play it on Smooth Sailing Sunday. Well, let Charlie know. And again with the UK charts. That's great. God, to hit three times. And now it makes sense because when I was looking up who sampled Fatback... This one was remade a few times by acts I didn't know, probably UK artists, Mm -hmm. but also sampled by UK girl group All Saints. Oh, that makes sense. So now it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I really was um, into I Found Lovin'. I really was into Mm -hmm. You're the One for Me and You're the Best. Those three just stellar tracks that I was like, oh my gosh, these are classics. I agree with you about the playlist being one of the best in a long time. Yes. 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 So that was super fun. I am having so much fun diving into the R&B book. Again, we'll keep doing this. You know, we're going to take some breaks because next week we're going to do a Billboard flashback episode focused on R&B. I took a look and there is uh, an issue that was released on February 22nd, 1986. Oh, I love 1986. Yep. So on February 22nd, 2022, that episode will drop. Cool. And we have a special guest coming up, right? Yeah. We'll see how that works out. We'll tease that. Um, A special guest with a special segment. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. And I did forget another mini tidbit, Carrie. Okay. The auction of Casey and Jean Kasem's merchandise, personal merchandise from their home. Did you take a look at all of the items up for bid? I did not because I had questioned you when you told me about this. I said, who is running this auction and who gets the money? And it's Jean Kasem. So then I was like, I'm not interested. I'm not giving Jean Kasem any of my money. Well, I probably won't either because I've already been (laughs) outbid on the lot of six vintage 80s sweaters worn by Casey during his countdown days. Wow. Um, The craziest sweaters you've ever seen. I went back up to, well, I won't say what I bid, but (laughs) I'm the high bidder again. Oh, wow, Joe. The auction goes until March 17th. So is that crazy? Don't you think auctions should be quicker yeah definitely 
And Jean's an idiot. She should have auctioned off each of those sweaters on their own. Yeah, that was kind of a bad move on her part. Yeah. So much crazy stuff, though. Outfits she wore on Cheers or wore to, you know, the Emmys Uh and Casey's microphone that he used. Like, it's, yeah, I know. She must be desperate for money. The less we say about it, the better now that we know what's happening. But some truly unique items. Yes. Well, uh, if you win, you'll have to, um, I don't know. Model them. Yes. (laughs) Definitely. All right. I think that's it for this week, Joe. Yep. I'll take us out. How's that sound? Sounds great. I would love for all the listeners to just know that we appreciate you listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and Carrie talk about some crazy, crazy things. (laughs) I didn't think I would bring up an octopus three times in one episode (laughs) today, but it happened. These are kind of like our little therapy sessions sometimes, Joe. (laughs) Yeah. In addition to our text. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. And also, listeners, please be kind to others. Be kind to yourselves. Yep. And stay safe. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.